Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Modern Conservative Podcast, and I'm your host, Jonathan Van Harvey, on a great, beautiful, snowy day in Salt Lake City, Utah. Today, I have a special guest with me. She's a good friend of mine, and I've known her for a few months now through the uh, the crisis that's going on in America right now. Um, she's running for first district, the congressional office of Salt Lake City. And her name is Alina Erickson, and I want everyone to welcome her to the podcast. Alina, how are you? Hi, John. I am ha- I'm doing so well, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So tell me, tell us a little bit about yourself, why you're here, what you're going to be doing, and what's your, ob- your final objective. objective. <laughs> well, those that know me know that I love this country, everything it stands for. And so the last few years, I have fought to defend the liberties of people. I I can't say that I'm anti anything but overreach of government. (laughs) And so I want people to be able to choose things that are the best for them and their family. And I don't think the government should ever dictate that. So as I've worked in every system, um, I've come to the realization that if we don't step into the system, it's not the system that's broken, it's the ghosts in the office that are. And if we do not step into the system, we stand a great deal to lose a lot. And so I'm, I'm a family person, I'm a mother, wife, um, and a new grandmother. And I look at, Congratulations. thank you. I look at what the future holds for my family. Um, I've, you know, given a lot to my family over the years and I'm almost an empty nester, believe it or not. <laughs> so it's a good time for me to be able to step in to this position and say, we have a country that needs some attention. We have a very sick system that has neglected the constitution and the the strengths and the principles that made this country so great. And we need to recognize that the constitution is, um, it is almost extinct. We have to bring it back. We have to get back to that because that's what made America so great to begin with. And by recognizing those principles, by standing on them, um, then that is how we, that's how we fix things. You know, and I'm glad you mentioned the Constitution because so many times you get people that are people, individuals that run for office, and they really don't know much about the Constitution. They figure they just go in, say things, look good, and think that's just enough. You know, and that's the problem why our country, in my opinion, is eroding right now because the lack of um, individuals and the constituents knowing, you know, what the Constitution is all about, and actually who it's for. What do you think on those? I think you're 100% right. Um, We have a system designed that doesn't want to teach the next generation what the Constitution is, what, where our rights come from, and how government works. They don't, they don't want to teach the appropriate checks and balances. We have an authoritarian type um, um, mentality where you, you show up in school, you do what you're told, you show up a job, you do what you're told, you just do what you're told. And how many times have we seen that in the past two years? You know, one of the beautiful things that COVID did for people is it really took the curtain off systemic issues in society. Um, We have a lot of people who don't want to think for themselves, who don't want to trouble themselves with defending liberty. Um, And unfortunately, Biden's going to help us out. He's going to make things a lot more painful for people. I know personally, I've been really helping people in the state, country, and even across the world with their jobs. These illegal mandates. 
I don't care if you want a vaccine or not. That's not the issue. The issue is, does the government have the authority to make you take something into your body? Do they have the authority to make your employer make you take something into your body? Absolutely not. Um, the government was created by the people to protect our rights, and we are supposed to live life according to the dictates of our conscience. And so we have the opportunity to live life according to how we feel is best, as long as we don't hurt somebody else. Now, this is the interesting thing about the um, about COVID, mm-hmm. because it plays on the goodness of society. We have we have the founders that took a gamble on the on people in general and said, "Are they good enough to manage themselves? Can they manage themselves? Can they make good decisions for themselves?" And so then we have to ask ourselves. What is the proper role of government when it comes to an alleged pandemic? And that is, I believe the government, Christy Nome nailed it. The government can inform, advise, and recommend, and then it's up to the people. Because if we're talking about saving lives, perhaps I shouldn't be allowed out of my bed or in my car. I never know what's going to happen to me. (laughs) We're talking about nature. Um, People get sick. There's sicknesses and germs all the time. I mean, since when did we become such a fearful people? Stand up, people. This is America. We we have more courage than this. Let's a, do, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's do something about it and say enough is enough. That's you why know, I'm running. And I often say this, you know, we went from eight to man to man to sheep. <laughs> Well, what I say about that is either men are divine creations with the capacity for greatness and and the seeds of divinity, or we are beasts that need to be mastered by a government. Do we want a government to micromanage our lives? Do we need legislation to tell us that we need some kind of a law to bake bread in our house if we want to sell it? Do we need legislation that just you know, gets down to the very little details of our life. I mean, just get out of it. You know, the government needs to stop. And when it comes to the federal government, they're so fond of spending that talking about, you know, inflation, six to 7% increase per household. How can we do this? I look at the time I've been back in Utah. I've been living around the country, Uh um, but I've been back in Utah for five years and my home is more than doubled in value. And I think, how does that happen? How, you know, what, what does the future look for, like for our children? Um, I know, you know, we got like a 30% tax increase on our city, uh, city property tax. And it's like, okay, so how did I agree to that? Is it because so many people are pulling out of schools that now they got to make up for it? <laughs> you know, the, the dollars are staying at home. Um, so to me, inflation, when we look at that, when we look at the Build Back Better bill, that's horrific. It's 10 years, $68 trillion, $400 million on the HR 550 bill that gives the government, the federal government, access to our personal records. The difficulty, the argument is, and Mike Lee would make this, is, I mean, Burgess Owens made this argument. If you have a drug addict that wants to go from pharmacist to pharmacist to, to fulfill their opioid addiction, then that's why the system is in place. It's to prevent people from having those kinds of addictions. And I'm thinking, well, if you're so worried about that, if that truly is the genuine good goal of the federal government, then why isn't there more, um, why isn't there more restrictions on alcohol consumption? 
or other kinds of addictions. I mean, if we're really talking about the health and well-being of individuals, why aren't we um, monitoring, you know, why isn't the FDA a little bit more concerned about the ingredients that goes into our food? What gets passed as edible and not? I mean, we could take this argument in a lot of different ways, but I'm, I'm going to question the intention when the federal government wants access to our private medical records and vaccination status, especially during 2020, when they took everybody's rights and they said, you can have them back if and when. Um, I have a problem with that, so. You know, everything is under the skies of COVID. Everything that they say they're, they're implementing for our best and our well-being is done under COVID. 90% of, I mean, I can't think of many issues that they're not uh, caused or triggered by COVID. And then the federal government comes in and figures, hey, you know what? We need to protect you guys. We want you to wear a mask. Hey, let's let's protect you a little bit further. We want you to stick a needle in your arm. We don't really know what's in it, but trust us. We know what we're doing because we're the federal government. And so ever since I've known you, you've been a fighter in Utah. Um, your name is, it, it's, it's, it's gold in Utah. And uh, the one of the reasons why I, why I love, de- why I like dealing, love dealing with you because you're true. You're honest. You're sincere. If you say you're going to do it, guess what, people? She's going to do it. Um, I don't bring many people on the podcast because um, not everybody is genuine. And uh, But the ones I do bring on my podcast, trust me, I believe in them. And uh, I think you're going to be a rock star. But my next question is inflation. Do you think inflation has been triggered by COVID or is there some other reason that the federal government, how do I put this and be delicate? Is there some other reason why inflation is the way it is today other than Joe Biden and his administration are absolute idiots? Well, if we understand Marxism, if we understand the true threat that America is under, we understand they're trying to destroy the middle class. It is the middle class that is the backbone to America. And when we take away the middle class, then we have two classes of people. And isn't that interesting? That's how they've always tried to divide. If you look throughout history, if you look at what's happening today, if you look at what's happening in our schools, Mm -hmm. everything boils down to division. And yet what makes America great is unity. And so one thing that's very personal with inflation and one thing that is part of my message is that we're not only fighting for a country and for the way for, for a life that we want to live to the fullest, but we're fighting for our families. You know, I'm a family person and I feel like inflation is directly hurting my family. It's taking the money out of my pocket, giving it to the federal government. They just passed a $60 billion um, allotment. Well, they're trying to with the Build Back Better. $60 billion to replace all the lead pipes in America. Is that the priority? Are we going to sit there and take the gas lines and, and you know, close the gas lines down so that we can't have access to our own resources? Uh, this is absurd. We have to make sure that we're protecting the family, the next generation. And I just feel like inflation is just another thing that's breaking the, the, the wallets of Americans to. It's the end goal. It's one of the end goals. It's all part of the piece of the puzzle. You know. You know, this Build Back Better um, budget that that they're trying to push through the second portion of it, the infrastructure, 
the problem with this whole bill, you know, only eight to 12 percent is going to actual human in- infrastructure. Let's put it that human infrastructure infrastructure. But you had mentioned, you know, the change to change all the lead pipes in the country. Well, here's the thing. We all know that's about lobbyists. The thing that the people, a lot of people don't realize. A lot of the things that the federal government does today, for example, shutting down the pipeline. Well, guess what? You're going to need a lobbyist to try to get that open again. You know, changing the lead pipes. Now you're going to have the the Pipe Fitter Association now trying to come in to get a lobbyist to say, hey, look, let's do this. We need to change all. And well, how much money can you give me? Tell me how you can contribute to my campaign or my bottom line. The problem with the federal system right now as we sit, it's it's a cash cow. It's a money maker, you know. Yeah. You and I were talking talking earlier before we came on air, and I had mentioned to you that um that a lot of these politicians, whether you're Democrat or Republican, um, they make a lot of money. Their net worth basically doubles the minute they go in into office because they're catering to the lobbyists, yeah. you know. And people and it doesn't come. People don't think about one simple fact. When people go in and when these guys go in their office, the constituents don't think, you know, let's just find out how much they're worth before they went in office. And let's see what they are worth now that they come out of office. You know, when they, if you're a congressman, you come in $173,000. Senator comes in at roughly $186,000 a year. But it always doubles. So my question is to you is, tell me what are your thoughts about politician you know, politicians enriching themselves to the extreme where they're millionaires in less than four years. I have a problem with it. If you're if you're in office, I mean, let's look at the difference between a salary, you know, the, the wages of a state legislator versus congressperson. It's an enormous difference. And I believe that once you're out of office, you're not entitled to that money anymore. I don't think, you know, we're paying these people a lot of money to, in a sense, take from our own pockets and and make lives more difficult for employment, for jobs, for everything. Um, I I don't agree with that. But I also, I strongly, I, I recognize that my fight, this is how you know, this is how you know the intentions of somebody. I come to Utahns as a regular individual, somebody who has fought for this state in nearly every system and I didn't do it for money. I didn't do it for recognition. I did it because it was the right thing to do. It was needed because I love my country and I love the people. I grew to love the people I worked with. And in fact, I went into debt for it. There's nothing, there's no motivation for me. That's how we know. To me, if there is a better candidate, I will back out. The reason that I haven't is because I trust me. We have so many sellouts that get to Washington and somehow they change. We cannot afford to change. I look at my children and I think, how could I, how could I betray my children, my, my future grandchildren? Um, we have so much on the line. And so to me, part of my message is that we, the people, need to stand up. We cannot expect a politician who's been groomed through the system to get in there and change something. We cannot expect a hero to come save a day. The president of the United States isn't going to be that. It doesn't matter who it is. We shouldn't even recognize who the president of the United States is. He should not be touching our personal lives that much. The the beautiful thing 
two things with Congress. The beautiful thing is, is it gives the platform to send the message. Americans need hope. We are the hope. We are the future. It was simple, humble, you know, students and farmers. And, and yes, they were brilliant because they were taught in the classics. And we can talk about that with education. Education is very near and dear to me. Right. Um, but it's going to be regular people that stand up to save this country. If we believe the Constitution is going to be saved. And I do. If we understand the courses, the course America has taken, how sacred the family is to God, how sacred these children are to God, then we understand he's waiting. He's waiting to give us a miracle, but we got to act. And so it is with great faith that I step forward and I say, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to be a voice. I'm willing to take my fight. And yes, I'm kind of known for election integrity, but more than that, I'm known for accountability. I'm known for exposing the corruption. I'm known for fighting for the good fight where it needs to happen. And I don't care what the Salt Lake Tribune says about me. Go ahead and let them print their article. You know, let let the wolves come. And this is my this is my saying. You let the wolves come. And what's going to happen is the lions. It's the pack of lions that hold the truth that will take down the pack of wolves. We don't have to have the lions can be a three percent. But they will take down the pack of wolves in darkness. And well, well, um, I, you know, if I've had a death threat, I imagine I'll have more. We have congressmen and women that are willing to step up and say what needs to be said. But here's what I say to that. Step out of your curtain of cowardice. And you say that to my face. But know this, that I am on God's timetable. And I'm not going anywhere till my work is done. And so with that, I bring my fight. I bring my passion. I bring my principle. I think it's very important that whoever runs for Congress or for legislature in Utah, understands the people. I'm very connected to the people. I know their hopes, their fears, and their dreams. I've worked by their side. I may not have fought on foreign soil, but I have fought by their sides. And with that, I take that kinship and that knowledge and that love to Washington and to say, this is what Utahns want. This is, this is what we want. And federal government, get out of it. Get out, you're, in, you're out of your lane, stay in your lane. And with that, we can expose bills. We can expose the corruption. We can have the platform to inspire courage. Courage is contagious. And so it's all those reasons that, that I know and reasons I don't know. This is a walk of faith for me, that that's why I'm running. But at any point, again, this is not about me. This is not, I mean, to me, it would be so much easier to say, I'm not going to run for office. I'm just going to keep working in the systems I've been working with, the people I've been working with. But let me tell you something. We're hitting dead end after dead end because it's not the systems that are the broken problem. It is the people in, in, in office that are. So until we replace those people. The other day, I had the opportunity of going to Park City and Senate Bill 2004 in Utah prohibits the firing or the um, denying of hiring for the refusal of the COVID vaccine. And what I witnessed in it, and I told that crowd, I said, look, you had four regular people in your group. This group meets weekly and we have grassroots that meets weekly all over the state. They pushed that bill through and they got that to help Utahns. And they're not even legislators. I said, look guys, they just did the job of a state legislator. You can do this. Step forward, step up if you feel the call. You know, ladies and gentlemen, now you know why we want her running for Congress. <laughs> she, you know, when she says she, she was hesitant, to be honest with you. 
you know, but there are those of us that believe in her that are influencers in the state and the leaders in the state. We want her to be our next congressman. Now, you know, you said something kind of interesting about the mandate. I just come across, actually, I got to call Senator Cullimore back because uh, he and I have been talking about this. There is a poison pill in the Utah bill that Spencer caught wanted implemented in the bill. You know, and that is, there's this clause that says, if an employer cannot redesignate you to another area of the company, you can be terminated. And I've got some friends that work at office uh, workforce services were calling me and said, hey, look, what's going on with this? What do we do? I said, let me call Senator Colomore. And he and I spoke about it. And he's going to check into it because I want people, I want to make sure when people are listening to me right now. So you can say you're exempted because of religious freedom, uh, personal choice, or medical uh, issues is the reason you're not getting the vaccine. But the employer can say, well, we're going to, since we can't redesignate you to another part of the company, we can lawfully terminate you for not taking the vaccine. Case in point, let's say, for example, you work for a hospice company and you are in and you go and take care of elderly in their home. Well, if that's your job and you choose not to get vaccinated, well, your employer can legally fire you for not being vaccinated. But right now, companies are using that clause in Utah to uh, let people go that are not vaccinated. And so my issue with a lot of things in the state of Utah, for example, when these guys write a bill, it's almost as if nobody reads the damn bill. And then you have this issue that we're having right now in Utah. Now, mind you, mind you, Spencer Cox hasn't told the Department of Workforce Services, this is the new law. This is what you can and cannot do. They're letting people get fired because people, for lack of education. Right. Because the adjudicators don't know. Well, here's here's the reality behind this. So as I've helped... Um, you and I were talking before the show, so I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but I've been helping thousands of Utahns and people in, across the country and even throughout the world with this issue because they want to know what they can do. Some of them, and, and let's understand something. Again, I'm not anti-vax. Right. Um, I'm pro-choice. You know, this right. this needs to be an informed decision that you make and you need to be willing to take the risks that come with something that's so new. Um, but there's a, there's a few things that we can tackle with us. Number one, I am for a free market. I believe that an employer and an employee can make the arrangements that they want for their work environment as long as they agree upon hiring that they have that contract. Um, there's industries I don't support. I don't, I, I don't support um, erotic kind of industries, right? And mm-hmm. so for me, I'm not going to go be a patron to that. But that right. doesn't mean that somebody can't choose to do that on their own and the employee and employer makes their agreement. So it's the same kind of concept. What I have an issue with and what I'm helping people understand is if you have an employee contract currently that does not include the the COVID vaccine in that, they're in breach of their contract. So let's go back to that and let's look at the contract and say, you you don't have authority. Now, I hate the word exemption 
because it's it suggests that somebody has the authority over you. So I like to say religious or medical claim instead of exemption. Um, and then furthermore, I've helped people with affidavits. And I've kind of been known as, you know, as I've worked in the different systems in Utah, I'm the one that came up with the affidavits that were sent into the lieutenant governor over 4,000 um, who requested a forensic audit throughout the state of Utah. I wrote that affidavit. With, I co-authored it. Um, and additionally, I've done lots of other affidavits and, and other projects. Again, accountability is my, is, is my key issue. Um, I don't believe, I think Americans are frustrated. I was listening to Jim, Jim uh, Jordan the other day, and he said, I'll be walking in an airport and people will come up to me. They don't even know me. They don't say hi. But the one thing they say is, is when is somebody going to be held accountable? And we see right. that in America. When is somebody going to, I have asked that on a state level. I'm like, you tell me how a governor can stand in front of the entire state of his state or her state and issue claims of cures of prevention without a medical degree and without an assessment of the person he's suggesting it for. That's, that's a criminal offense. He doesn't get to do that. He doesn't get to pose as a physician. And so for me, again, government can advise, recommend, inform, and then the people need to work with their doctors. They need to work with their own knowledge, do their research, make the best decisions for them. But accountability, when I took those 700 pages of affidavits to the two sheriffs, and I said, I want a case opened on Herbert and Cox. I spent an hour and a half with the attorney general and said the same thing. And I said, if you guys don't do something about this, and I supplied them with 30 pages of criminal codes. I said, if you don't do something about this, I will go public with it. And I have. And so to me, I would take that same fight, that same accountability and take it to D to, to uh, DC and to fight. But I think, um, you know, Americans want to know that. They want to know, you know, we have the, the, the other issue that we need to really focus in on is the foreign threats. We have a lot of foreign threats that, you know, we have America that's kneeling down to Marxism, to, um, you know, the, the, um, the communist parties. We, we can't be doing that. We are the light on the hill. We need to be the leader on the hill. And we need to be have people willing to step up and, and, and fight for that. But what we're seeing come in is I don't see just foreign threats because, yes, we've had foreign threats of all kinds. There's a lot of there's a lot of disturbing things happening in the world, a weakening of the military. Again, COVID and the, the vaccine was also, to me, I believe, a method of weakening the military. And so we need to strengthen that. We need to have a grid system in place. We need to make sure that. Um, our borders are protected. We cannot have, we need to finish the wall, but then we also need to have it illegal to do a catch and release. We can't just say, oh, you're over here. Okay, okay, you know, and then people go off and, and, and you know, I mean, this, this is a problem. I want people to come to America, but there's a process for it. There is a process, there's a vetting process. And so then the final thing that we need to take a look at Again, we talked about this earlier in the show, is the dividing of America. And this is where my biggest concern is. I, you know, it's the educational system. When we take a look at the waking hours that our children are influenced in school, it's very critical that we understand what's happening there. Parents have to get involved. Let's look at the state. Our state takes the money that we spend on education is about 9% from the federal government. 
but because we take it, they own 100% of our decisions. So the other issue is that we have third-party lenders that come in and they do training. They do multicultural training. They, they issue the curriculum and they do the testing. And I mean, all the stuff that happens behind the scenes and what we're, have, what we're seeing is that school districts are now beholden to the third parties and the bureaucrats instead of the parents. And so to get to fix this, to fix this, we need to keep the money in the state and we need the federal government to stay out of it. And people say, well, heck, you're talking about, um, you know, the, the, the underprivileged because the federal money often helps those underprivileged. We need to have school choice and the federal government. What if we set this up that we said, OK, the federal government should not be issuing any dollars to schools that do not honor school choice. Thomas Sowell came out with this. He said, look, school choice is the key. If parents have a right to send their children where they want them to go at the best of schools, then the best of schools will, will succeed because of competition. <clears throat> so then people are voting with their dollars. And, and that's kind of how we need to fix education. And I know it's painful to say um, that with inflation and with education, that we need to cut the Department of Education. We need to cut teachers' unions. What are these people being paid for? Why is education not local in the hands of the parents, with the parents in the school districts and them working out their own, um, you know, agreements? Why, why is the federal government 3,000 miles away managing our state? So these things are painful. They need to happen. People, you know, obviously I'm talking about the, the loss of some jobs here. But may, may I just suggest we have ships waiting in the ocean, waiting to be unloaded because we're sending those jobs overseas. What if we brought them here? You know, and it's going to... Um... What I wanted to say about the Utah school system, specifically Utah, you know, the Democrats are big on CRT. Now, let me ask you, well, well, let me change it up. Now they're saying it doesn't exist. Now they're saying that CRT is something that the Republicans conjured up to create division. I just heard this as recently as, as, to, as of today. You know, when Terry McCullough was running for governor, before he got his butt handed to him by Yankin in Virginia, you know, he made a comment and he said that families and parents don't have a choice in their children's curriculum in, in, in school. Well, Virginia showed him how much, what choices they do have. And uh, in Utah, I find it a state that's less than 100%, 1.5% black um we have these conversations to me i've always said that the feel-gooders in utah take something that happens in other parts of the country they bring it here because look we really don't have these kind of problems in utah utah is a state that's unique in its own um racism is rarely heard of here now do you get discriminated possibly I w I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. As a black man, I've been in this state for almost 30 years. I've never been discriminated. Never. My business partners are all white. Um, my customers, 90% all white. Has anybody ever told me that uh, because I'm black, I can't do that? Not in this state. Not in this state. So my problem with Utah is, is that we create problems so we can feel good like the rest of the world. Like my last podcast, you know, you, I mean, you, heard, you mentioned that you've, you've heard it. 
my point to that podcast was simply this. You know, we need to get back to doing what Americans do best, being, being Americans. And conservatives need to do the same as well. Or Republicans, because we're basically, we run together on the same train. But I think Utah is unique because people like you, for example, I love strong voices. And I've said in Utah, the mama bear is the most dangerous bear in Utah. And you're showing that. And for those who don't know about Utah, it's the women in 2021 that are doing all the fighting in this state. It is truly the women. I've met so many women that are straight mama bears. And uh, to me, I love that. When I listen to you talk about your convictions, it's almost poetic. It really is. Because you don't rehearse it because I've heard you talk, speak this before. You truly believe it. Most of us and all, if not all of us, believe the same thing as you. But you are a great representative to Utah because you express what most of us think. So my question is, tell me, how would you benefit Utah as a con- congressional leader? Because most people become, like, for example, I'm a Thursday, Mitt Romney. You don't hear anything about Mitt Romney. You haven't heard anything that he's done for Utah. How do we as Utahans have trust that you're going to care about us as your constituents? I love that question. I think I I hit on that earlier when I said I have, I worked for the state of Utah. Wherever I saw a problem, wherever I saw a need, if I, if, if something was broken, if something was um, flashing in need of dire assistance, like um, people in their jobs or election integrity or the school boards, um, I have stood by those people. And it is because I love the people of the state that that's what moves me. And it's not, again, you know, this is, this is a decision to step into that pack of wolves that I'm talking about. It, it does not come lightly. I'm willing to do it. Um, I think I'm different because I'm not disconnected from the state. I didn't show up here just barely to run for office. I didn't show up with a perfect resume. I've been here. I've been here in the fight. And to me, one of the greatest motivations I have is that I am a mother. And I know some people would look at that and say, hey, (laughs) I talk about discrimination. Some people might look at that and say, well, don't you belong in the home? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, to me, I've raised my family. I've homeschooled my children. Um, I've helped my children. I've shadowed them. My youngest will be about 17 next year at this time. And so I had the conversation with him. I said, hey, how do you feel about your mom being in D.C. so often if that's how this is going to work out? And he said, you know what, mom, we have a country to save. I'm okay with it. And I look at the sacrifice. If if we can make a change, if, if Trump could do so much against him in the four years that he was there, imagine what we could do if we took back the Senate, if we took back the House and we actually had good regular people run. You know, it's it's been us. It's this it's what I call the small people that's, you know, you don't know their name, you don't know who they are, but it's those people who are principled. And one thing you can know about me is whether you agree with my convictions or not. I stood by my convictions when they weren't popular. I was 
willing to go and um, stand on those things, even when I couldn't shop, even when I, even when there were so many um, places in public that I couldn't go. And yes, I'm talking about the mask. I felt that was personally wrong for me because I felt that the the federal government down to the state government had overstepped. And I recognized that if I did not take a stand then and there, it would lead to bigger things. And lo and behold, it did. And so for me, you know, the constituents um, that would, that if I am elected, the constituents that elect me know that about me. They know that I'm going against people who have a better resume. But let me ask you this. Do you want somebody in office who says they're going to do something or do you want somebody in office who is doing something? Do you want somebody is the matter the, the matter of the of, of America right now is we need people we can trust. Because it's 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 not so much about competency. Yes, that's part of it. And I have full faith that I could get into Washington and do a fine job. But here's the other issue as I have touched every system I recognize people aren't following the rules. They're not doing things. It's been really interesting. Um, I've your audience may be interested to know. Please. I have a pretty big. I have a pretty big federal lawsuit. Two of them, one against the governorship, and one and the health department of Utah, and then another one for uh, Davis School District. Davis School District, interest, interestingly enough, just went into default yesterday. They forgot to respond, so we sent a. a a judgment default to the court. Uh, that'll be interesting to see what happens. I'd like to see how they scramble and get their way out of that one. But this is what I'm talking about. I walk the talk. I don't just say I'm going to do something and then just go on my merry way. This is not about me. And again, if there's a better candidate, I will I will oblige it. But for me right now, the matter of the moment is, is I trust me. I know my fight. I know my perseverance. Those 700 pages of affidavits that I collected from all over Utah, all over Utah, those were suicides. Those were deprivation of rights, irreplaceable life events that were lost. Those were job losses. Those were children we're talking about. Those are sacred to me. And I hold those dear and I use those as much as I can. So for me, I still hold that, that commitment to the people that I am trusting completely sacred. And so for me, that's, that's where I'm going with this. This is this, we are in a battle to save America, and I'm willing to step forward. So let's talk about a little bit about your opponent. You know, I've met him, you know, Mr. Blake Moore. I've met him. And uh, I guess this goes out to his constituents that possibly listens, listens to me. Um, I'm not a fan of his. You know me, I'm going to call it like it is. I'm not a fan of his. I think he's a, my personal opinion, he is a Romneyite. Well, uh, he kind of took the money, so we need to associate <laughs> that. I, I mean, when you're when you're fundraising with Liz Cheney and you're, you're taking funds from Romney, it kind of is revealing. It's just, <laughs> I mean, can't hide from it. Yeah, and so, you know, I had a meeting with him as the, you know, the board member had a meeting with him you know, as Black said, I was not impressed. And uh, and the one reason why I wasn't impressed because when I'm having a conversation with a politician, and when I feel like he's a politician, that just sends my radar crazy. 
I don't like people to talk like politicians because that means you've been polished by some other politician. I want somebody that can, you know, talk to talk, talk to the people, you know, come down a level, you know, to our level. Because when you speak to Blake more, and this is my opinion, he's got more of this, I'm up here and you guys are down here. But what he doesn't realize that I'm in the group that wants to bring you down to our level. I don't want to go mm -hmm. up to your level, but you definitely can come down to our level. And what I love about you is you already, you're on our level. You think just like most of us. You know, when people ask me I should run for office, blah, 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 blah. I said, no, people like Elena can do that. People like Jason can do that. That's not my goal right now. That's really not my goal. You guys have been in the game longer than I have. And so I won't mention his name, but you're probably going to have another opponent. And I think we know who he is. And uh, you and I had this conversation that, you know, he, you know, he's, he's in Oxford, blah, 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 blah. I met him the other night at the event. First of all, you don't live here. You haven't lived here. You don't know the demographic. You don't know the political demographic. And my worries is somebody from Utah that is polished called him and said, hey, listen, why don't you run for office in Utah? Well, that's fine and dandy, but he doesn't get my support. Now, if you were to drop out, possibly for whatever reason it may be, I would consider looking into him. But right now, I promise you, the people in the circle that I run in, you are by far our choice, by far our choice. And so those people out there that, don't, that really don't know you, they should look you up, vet you, and I promise you, you won't come up short. They won't come up short because there is no other person in the state of Utah suitable that should be Blake Moore. No other person because he's not one of us. If you're a patriot or you're a true conservative and you believe in the Constitution and for, for all it's worth, good, bad, or, or the indifference, Alina Erickson is by far our golden choice. Um, Lena, I want to thank you for being here. This thank you hour, for having me. This went by really fast. And uh, I, God, I just wish you luck. Hey, thank you. Well, people can find me at alinaforcongress.com. Can they, people contribute to your campaign? Is it through your, your email? Do you have a Patreon page or do you so, have a fund me? Yeah, well, it's so when you run a federal campaign, everything has to be ran through my compliance in DC. And so any donations that come in, that's where that there's a donate button button and it goes right directly to that account. Um, but more than anything, they can read about me and and the work that I've done and, and the pledges that I commit to what I stand for, the principles I stand on. So um, I'm excited. Oh, so am I. And so am I. And your buddy is going to be on next week. Our buddy is going to be on next week. And uh, this is Jason. <laughs> Jason. Yeah, he's, he's good man. I always mention him in a podcast. He's a good dude. And uh, but anyway, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you on the other side. Take care. Okay. We wish you well. Hey, thank you.